Blog Talk Radio. This episode of Attention Talk Radio is brought to you by children and adults with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Welcome to Attention Talk Radio, your ADHD information station where we help those with ADHD pay attention to attention. With your host, ADHD and attention coach, Jeff Topper. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Attention Talk Radio. I'm your host, ADHD and attention coach, Jeff Copper. Our topic tonight, ADHD, depression, and stimulant medications. With us in our virtual studio is Dr. Sarah Shayette. We're going to get into the contents of the program in a minute, but before we do, a big thanks to children and adults with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, better known as CHAD. Uh, it's because of them that we're uh, bringing this show to you. In, in celebration of their support, we're anxious to give away free digital copies of Attention Magazine to get yours. Listen to our show. We'll share a secret word several times during the show. Write it down. Um, and then listen to another show. Put the secret word of that show and then send me an email with both secret words. The address is attention at attentiontalkradio.com. It's pretty easy to remember. Attention at attentiontalkradio.com. Uh, when we get it, we'll send you a PDF copy of the current edition of Attention Magazine, and we'll send you um, the next edition when it is printed. Chad's got a little tip that we want to share, and we'll get into the show. If you or a loved one struggle with ADHD, children and adults with ADHD can help. CHAD is the nation's leading nonprofit organization supporting people affected by ADHD. CHAD offers comprehensive programs and services at both the national and local levels. To learn about all the resources and information available to help, visit chad.org. Thank you so much, Chad, for your continued support. For those that are not aware, Chad is the largest not-for-profit organization that advocates on behalf of those with ADHD. We encourage all of our listeners to either donate or become members to support Chad. Financial stability is really important for them to have the resources to have people lobbying uh, on Capitol Hill for the ADHD community and working with different regulatory agencies on wording to make sure that uh, those with ADHD get the accommodations that they need in order to thrive. Again, for more information, to donate or to uh, become a member, go to chadd.org. Okay. With us in our virtual studio is Dr. Sarah Shayette. She's a pediatric neurologist and an expert in working with kids and young adults with ADHD. She also writes about ADHD online and has authored two books uh, on the subject, Winning with ADHD and ADHD and the um, Focused Mind, with the goal of helping young people with ADHD learn to become independent, strong, and successful. Dr. Shayat graduated from Princeton University and UCLA Medical School. She completed a fellowship in pediatric neurology and has been in private practice since then. She treats kids and young adults with ADHD, not just with medication, uh, but also with non-medication strategies, such as those outlined in her book, ADHD and the Focus Mind. She brings a powerful professional perspective on the benefits and limitations of ADHD medications, as well as many behavioral adaptations for young kids with ADHD that must embrace to thrive uh, with their condition. She and her husband have four kids and live in San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, her website is uh, Sarah uh, Shayette, that's S-A-R-A-H-C-H-E-Y-E-T-T-E.com. And with that, Dr. Shayette, welcome to the show. 
Hey, Jeff. Thank you so much for having me. It is always a pleasure to speak with you. Well, I, uh, it's always a pleasure to speak with you because I always uh, I learn a lot with uh, with you, um, actually tons with you. So I'm anxious to learn a little bit more. Um, our topic today is ADHD depression and stimulant medications. And I think to get started, um, you know, ADHD often I hate this word comorbid conditions because something usually tags along with it. Um, and sometimes ADHD and depression kind of are together. But sometimes is it clinical that you have both of them, or sometimes is depression kind of a result of ADHD? Can you give us your thoughts and perspective on that? Well, uh, you know, what I would say is that the depression or also anxiety is often the most visible part of this. And mm-hmm. so that's the thing that may, you know, bring somebody to the attention of those around them where they're saying, hey, this isn't going well. It's really, really dismaying when somebody gets depressed. It's really pretty obvious when people are super anxious. It may be less obvious why the, you know, why that's the case. The part where they may have some underlying attention issues is less visible to people around them. And also, Jeff, don't you think it's a little bit more stigmatizing too, um, to some degree, like? You know, the attention issues where you forget things, that's like a failure. And Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, attention and, or the uh, depression and anxiety part, um, will kind of view it less as a moral failing these days. Mm -hmm. I I agree. It's, it's, uh, you have a real good point there. Actually, as an aside, I'm having a flashback to an interview that I did, oh my God, like nine or 10 years ago. And I can't, can't remember the guest. But the guy was talking about how there's a love affair between ADHD and depression. And as much as the way he put it is the more you act depressed, the more people like, you know, because you're quiet and you're kind of, you know, you're secluded and stuff like the more, you know, hey, you're doing a really good job over there. And so you're kind of rewarded for not bouncing off the walls and stuff like that. I'm not there's something to that, but it's just it was an interesting perspective to say, hey, you know, you're kind of rewarded if you act depressed. And, 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 you know, again, I, I just thought it was it kind of it struck me in that interview, kind of flashback right now. So, yeah, um, you know, it's the weirdest thing, though. Like, um, I just don't um, I've never heard it phrased that way. But I, I guess those aren't the words that I would really that really come to mind for me. For me, I think about that if you have trouble focusing that really leads to depression and anxiety. And the mm-hmm. point that I want to make is that depression and anxiety then easily lead to more problems focusing. And yep. so it's so easy to get into a negative spiral. And, mm-hmm. you know, oftentimes by the time I'm sort of involved, I, you know, sometimes it's really hard to know what's the big, what's the major problem. Is it the depression? Is it the anxiety? Is it the focusing issues? You know, where do you start? I, I, I'm glad you brought that up because, and everybody, uh, we, Sarah and I did a show a while ago where we talked about the diagnosing, the diagnosing process of mental health conditions. It was a incredible interview because we talked about, you know, you you basically you, you talk about history and you and you. And you you talk about symptoms and you classify them into groups and like anxiety can be with a lot of different types of things. And then you kind of take a look at the group and you have a diagnosis. And so it's the, the art of diagnosis is, is really more of an art than a science. And when you say, Hey, you know, the focus issues could be depression or blah, blah, blah. And it's all in there together. 
my understanding is ideally you'd like to try to find out which one's kind of primary and kind of deal with that one first and hopefully the other one's a byproduct of that. But how, yes, from your perspective, absolutely. tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, the main thing is that there's no rule books to any of this. So, mm-hmm. you know, we, we always have to try to figure these things out on a very, very individual basis. And, you know, the point you made just now was, um, you know, really, we think about like anxiety is in this chapter of the, you know, diagnostic books and ADHD is in the other chapter and depression's in a third chapter and you look it up and you're like, okay, got these criteria. All right, that's it. But how they relate to each other is super important as well. Mm-hmm. Um you know, uh, the, the, to try to figure out which one to treat first. Well, I gotta say, some, um, psychiatrists and neurologists, um, some people give you medications for both at once. That is, you know, allowable. Mm-hmm. That's not what I personally, uh, tend to do. Um, but I know that that does happen. I I kind of like to have people on one medicine at a time because otherwise you don't know what causes what. Yep. So I usually try to pick to um, treat first. Sometimes mm-hmm. that's based on the person's history, of course. Like, okay, before the anxiety and depression started, did you have ADHD? And, and if you did, well, maybe we're going to treat that first and see if the anxiety and depression go away. Um, another way I try to figure it out is just by asking the person or their parents or significant others, you know, what do you think? Um, <laughs> if the anxiety were taken away, would you still have trouble concentrating? If the depression were taken away, would you still have co- trouble concentrating? And obviously, you know, like what I really want is a magic wand and just go ping. It's gone, but um, these are all hypothetical and theoretical questions. But, um, you know, I I think that's as good a way to do it as anyone, you know, as any any way anyone can figure out. So, um, Mm-hmm. As a mental health professional, I got to tell you, when you say, well, what do you think back to the person? People are like, well, wait a second. You're the professional stuff like that. But sometimes, like, having people discuss this because, I mean, you a person kind of knows themselves at least to some degree. Mm-hmm. And, and getting some of that input can really value or get some clues process. I'm kind of kind of proud that you yeah. would, would actually say that because I think most people would shy away from it or even if they heard this I mean I think it's a real good question to, to get the other individual participating I know on my end when people come to me because I don't diagnose and treat what I do is try to help get an education to what's going on so when they go with a professional they're better in a better position to, to kind of articulate what's going on so that you can actually mm-hmm. help them figure it out it's like this kind of fun thing my job is to, to educate and teach and for a person to think about it and then interact more deliberately with somebody you're in because at the end of the day, what I'm liking about this most is there's an art to this and there's a trial and error yeah. to this. And everybody's kind of completely different. And I want to I wanna digress and share a personal story because we get so locked into things. In 1980, I went to get a stress te- an EKG and a stress test in Washington, D.C. I lived about an hour south from there because of some asthma stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. I left the, um, 
the, the doctor's office, and I drove back, and when I got to school, the school nurse was on the front steps waiting for me and took me to the hospital. And I, I was a little bit wow. blurred. We go to the hospital. They go through the stuff, and they let me go. I didn't really understand it because I was, I don't know, junior in high school. Fast forward, there was a few other incidents like that. So then 1998, I'm going to my doctor's office for another reason, and I had some issues. I want to run the EKG. And I said, listen, you're going to want to take me to the hospital, and I, it's no big deal. Because it happens all the time. Long and the short of it is, he does it, walks in, and he's going to take me to the to the hospital. I'm like, no. Anyway, he, he lets me drive, but I show up, and they've got people in the hallways all set, but they got a room for me in the emergency room. And I go in, and a cardiologist walks in, and he says, you're fine. Get out of here. And I said, listen, this has been happening my entire life. What is this deal about? He says, oh, your normal EKG looks like you're having a heart attack right now. Oh, and my point my in gosh. this story – is that my normal is everybody else's abnormal. And as we mm-hmm. get into this, keep this in mind because, you know, I know, Dr. Shiat, when you're doing this, you've got to sit there and figure out the individual differences to kind of sort through this stuff to really try to find out what's kind of going on. And um, if you're out there to participate with your, uh, your professionals to try to help them sort it out is really, really important. So I'm going to kind of just say thoughts and comments on, on well, that little story. I, I, I would like to follow up with that too, which is that, you know, you mentioned that your role is to educate and teach. My role is also to educate and teach. And the thing about it is that, you know, the person in the middle of all this knows himself but is also not objective, right? Yes. So that's kind of what you're, what you're um, you know, you don't want to be your own doctor. And because this happens all the time, I feel like I must say it. You cannot, like, read a website on ADHD and, like, know. You know, like, <laughs> people do that, but it's like, Oh, my gosh, you know, um, there is context here that you need to have and there's perspective that you need to have. And, you know, you, of course, naturally choose the websites that are going to reinforce the beliefs that you're bringing, bringing to it. Yep. So, uh-huh. um, you know, so um, where I'm going with this is that People need to tell me sort of what's going on and what they're feeling. I think my role in terms of making a diagnosis is to help them ask themselves the right questions Mm -hmm. and to help them with that context and framework and all that kind of thing so that together we can both figure out with the best information that we have Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what's going on? All of my, you know, like my stuff to diagnose with is based on other people. So, like, it's based on the person himself. It's based on their parents or significant others or what the teacher perceives. So all those rating scales and stuff, I feel like I need a rating scale for the rating scale person, <laughs> too. You know, like, are you, are you a really tough grader? You know, are you really picky? Are you totally chill? Like, would you not notice an elephant stampeding in front of your face? Um, so, um, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's to, you know, speak to our previous conversation that you referred to. Uh, I don't have a heck of a lot of objective. Just today, I was talking with this guy, and I'm trying to figure out. He's like, oh, okay, I had a prior ADHD diagnosis when I was in ninth grade. He's now a senior in high school and revisiting the idea. And I'm like, 
well, what's going wrong in your life? You know, you first got your uh-huh. college apps done, you know, all this stuff. Yep. And he's like, I feel so distracted. So, like, objective only gives me a small portion. Teachers may see somebody turn in homework assignments on time and not realize that the, there was a huge struggle that went into it yep. from parents doing half the work to sticking a pitchfork in their kids' butt to get them to, you know, get started or whatever it is, the procrastination. Oh, my God, this term paper <laughs> was written the night yep. before. And so um, I, I'm just blabbling on a little bit here, but the point is that asking the person what's going on combined with trying to give that person a framework is my job to help me mm-hmm. figure out what's going on. But, I, you know, mm-hmm. that's, that's really hugely important. And getting them on board, I'm not trying to convince them of anything one way or the other usually, but it's, um, you know, let's try this. And just so you understand how I'm thinking about you, you know, one thing makes the other thing worse, the other thing makes the first thing worse. Yep. Here's where we're intervening we're going to see how things go. So I, I'm, I'm, I love how you're teeing this up. I want to kind of go to break. When we come back, I'm going to kind of share a little bit of what I do when people kind of come to me, and I'm be very anxious to kind of get your thoughts in on that. Um, tonight, our secret word is Sarah. Uh, our secret word is Sarah. And I encourage you to go check out uh, Dr. Shayette's website. It's sarahshayette.com, and there uh, she's got a new book out, ADHD and Me, and you actually have a couple other books. I trust that they can access them from your website. Is that right? All right. Again, it's I'm going to spell it S A R A H C H E Y E T T E dot com. We'll be right back after these messages. Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. Are you always late? The Time Timer is an award-winning time management solution that's helped millions of people with ADHD manage life better. As time passes, Time Timer's bright red disc disappears. Visit Timetimer.com and use the discount code ATR for 15% off. Transform lives as a professionally trained ADHD coach at the ADD Coach Academy. ADHD coaching is in demand, a calling, and a career. Learn how you can change lives by going to addca.com slash ATR. That's addca.com slash ATR. Managing ADHD is about pausing before you ponder and proceed. This opportunity to practice pausing is being brought to you by digcoaching.com. And now, back to Attention Talk Radio. Welcome back, everybody. We're here with Dr. Sarah Stratt having a conversation about ADHD and depression. We're also going to bring in stimulant medications here in a little bit. Um, but for right now, we're talking a little bit about, um, as a mental health professional on her side, and the art of, of working with people to try to sort through to kind of help people. And uh, on my side of it, usually people are coming to me because they're identifying with the ADD side of it at some point in time. And at some point, now what's interesting to me is when they're coming to me, um, the first thing I do is say, okay, let's focus on the ADD side because if I can help you understand what works and you can do it, maybe that will, you know, help some of the problems. As my mother said, success solves a lot of problems. And so what, <laughs> what they'll do when they come to me. As I focus in on helping them understand the different components of executive functioning, and then we start to talk a, a, a little bit about their world. And I'm just – I use this as an example a lot um, because it, it's common, but 
thinking is more difficult for people with ADHD inside their head because of working memory impairments, which is executive functioning. And I can kind of help them sometimes realize if they externalize thinking um, by making it visual or often by talking out loud, they'll, they talk through some problems. And if you're one of these people, that's where you go talk to somebody, you talk, 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 and you solve your own problem. The other person doesn't say anything. And I sit there and say, hey, let's run some experiments. And you can begin to see that, oh, my God, when I'm talking through some things, number one, I'm solving problems and I'm engaged. And they do that for a period of time. Uh, normally what I do is I do that. Then I go and I work on emotional self-regulation because a lot of times if because you have to regulate your emotions. And, and if I'm going to work with them on down-regulating the, the emotions, i got to make sure that we understand if we're going to pause and do something, we know it's going to work on the attention side. So when I'm doing this, sometimes what will happen is we're, we're going through that process. And what's interesting to me, because I'm not focusing on the depression, I'm just focusing on what works for the success. And then sometimes when that happens, we'll start to see the depression start to go away, um, in which case to me, it's like the depression was almost kind of caused by the ADHD. On the other side of it, mm-hmm. if I'm working with them and we're doing this stuff and I work with so many people, if, if I'm doing what I'm doing and it's not having the same kind of effect, that it would normally have, that's when I turn and say, hey, listen, we need to get somebody in here to start working on the depression side of it because it looks like that might be uh, more primary. And in order for me to be effective on this side, we have to kind of deal with that. So I'm going to kind of pause and kind of get your thoughts on that uh, or reaction to it from just your perspective. Yeah. So, I, you know, I love what you said. I think it's super important Um Something that um, we tried to talk about in our first book called uh, ADHD and the Focused Mind, where we showed a picture of like a cycle of success and a cycle of failure. And, um, you know, the idea is to get your child or your person or yourself on a cycle of success because like your mom said, you know, success breeds success basically. And um, getting somebody, like, how do you do that? That's not easy. Um, basically, what you want to do is remember that big things start small. So if you're going to ride a bicycle, you know, you start mm-hmm. slowly and then you get faster and faster and faster. And basically, you want to shoot for small, achievable goals. And, mm-hmm. you know, it may be ridiculously small, in your opinion, but heck, start somewhere. And the idea <laughs> yep. is that, you know, if you start too big, it's too hard to start. But if you have success because your goal is achieved, then what happens is you feel good. Yes. You know, everyone's like, Jeff, oh, my gosh, and, you know, you're doing great. Oh, wow, that is awesome. And, you know, you walk around and you are like, yeah. I am Awesome Jeff, and Awesome Jeff is hopeful. Awesome Jeff goes, okay, I can do this. I can set goals. And then Awesome Jeff works hard, and if things go wrong, he goes, well, I'm Awesome Jeff. I fix things. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you stick with things, you work hard, and that breeds success. Mm -hmm. It's important at that point to recognize the success right? So you want to have, mm-hmm. yay, I did it. And then you can set bigger and bigger and bigger goals. And that gets you going faster and faster and faster. But, it's, you know, when you celebrate, yep. you can, you recognize what you did, and then you can then set 
bigger and bigger goals. On the other hand, if you're having a hard time, whether it's from the um, focus or the anxiety or the depression, you're not achieving and you are not feeling like Awesome Jeff. And Mm -hmm. what happens then? Awesome Jeff Mm -hmm. doesn't want to, or I should call you not Awesome Jeff at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Not Awesome Jeff um, gets frustrated. He doesn't think he can do something. And Not Awesome Jeff will then view every mistake and every problem and every bad outcome as a reflection of, oh, yeah, see, that's, that's what happens when I try things. And then you wind up going in the exact opposite direction. You wind up going negative. And, you know, forget diagnoses. This is what we're talking about. How do we get somebody from a negative cycle of failure to a positive cycle of success? That's all. Like, do we want anything else? We do not. Yes. So from a tension perspective is when you start looking for all the failures, you're going to start to see it as opposed to looking for some of the successes. And some of the trick of this is to help people kind of, kind of, kind of get there. Um, yeah. I got, I, I got Screwing a, up is inevitable. It's how you view your screw-ups, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So I'm kind of curious about this. Everybody, this is, there's no science. This is just my experience is that over the years, I've had a number, significantly more women come to me that were diagnosed with depression um, in their late teens, early adulthood that get a diagnosis of ADHD maybe later in life. Now, some of them, I'm talking about the ones like in their 30s. There's a group of them that get it when they're going through premenopause when estrogen levels drop and it kind of like a don't spill the beans. But I'm I, – I, I, I'm guessing a lot of them were more of an inattentive presentation if you're looking at the dsm 4 um, and that it's getting caught because maybe they're not kind of bouncing around. Is that just my experience or have you noticed any of that stuff? Because it's just been interesting because it's more totally women come to me with the depression side of it. Then they get the ADHD and like, oh, my God. And that's one that usually I can help because they were ADD from the beginning. But because it wasn't as outward and they internalized it a little bit more, it got, it got missed. That's just my perspective. But what's, I, I, I think that is my perspective as well. Why that is? You know, there are so many million answers to that, I think. Yep. But that is it, that is totally accurate, I think. Um, and I think it goes along with, you know, those women as girls may have been quiet and doing enough to get by and struggling and um, just not the sort of crazy, impulsive, hyperactive that, that the boys might tend to be. And, you know, you can argue about whether that's biology or societal, you know, whatever, and I am not going to go there, are you, Jeff? (laughs) But but whatever it is in the outcome, you know, I, I would say it's very, very, very common that especially women, but not just women, Um, You know, by the time they hit their 30s and they're responsible for, um, you know, kids, career, everything, Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, they, there's a, and the hormonal part of it, hormones do affect your brain cells. And so, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's, there's just a lot of factors going into that. Um, But yeah, and the, a, a lot of times after, somebody's been referred to me, um, I will see that they have already been treated 
starting from their teens on for anxiety or depression or both. And some of that is very, you know, some of that is helpful because mm. you can't focus if you're depressed. Um, but sometimes we figure out that maybe there was some other underlying thing that, you know, we start treating the attention. They may or may not stay with their depression and anxiety medicine. Mm. Interesting. So I want to, one other thing I want to bring up, and I want to go to break, I want to come back and talk about stimulant medications. And the jury's out on me for this, but it's a phenomenon that it's, it's speculative in my mind, just based on the last 18 months with the advent of the pandemic. Um, and everybody more or less was sent home. Um, and, and having to interact via digital means, you know, Sarah, in the, 13 or 14 years of coaching before the pandemic in total, I had a handful of people who had addictive issues that were serious that they needed to go seek some help. In the last mm-hmm. 18 months, I'd have to say I've had five times the amount that I've had in the, in the time before that. And one of my observations yeah. is people went home, they were bored because they didn't have the activities. They got on to social media. They got on to video games. They started doing some other things, and they started to get in more addictive-type behaviors, and they didn't get out. And as time goes on, sometimes you do that type of stuff, and there's no variety, and they get bored. And long-term boredom actually leads to depression, as I understand it. And when you're bored – People that are bored, you ask them what they want to do, and they don't really – they don't know. And there is research. Bored to death is true. People that have chronic boredom have a lot shorter life expectancy than the, the rest of people. And so I'm starting to see more and more. It's like the ADD. They went home, and they went to these stimulating-type things, and it's led them to the place where they, they – they, they don't have any other interest. They don't do anything else, and they become more depressed because they, they, they lack life purpose. It was the ADD that kind of caused that depression, but it's almost like we've got to treat the depression to kind of get them out of it. Again, this is new for me. It's just something I've been noticing lately. I wanted to kind of get your thoughts. Have you seen any of that stuff? Or Well, my first thought was I wonder if we're also going to have a baby boom, but we'll leave that aside as other things yep. people may do when they're home. But um, I definitely have seen a lot of people with um, – you know, more focused problems than they've ever had. It's been really, really busy. Um, I should mention specifically that some of that may be that one of the things they do when they get home is they hop on their screens. And yep. we also know that screens clearly, too much screens, I'm saying, too much for you, whatever that criteria is, will definitely cause worse focus worse anxiety, and worse depression. I mean, mm-hmm. that is just, its there are so many reasons why that happens. Um, you know, one of the things that happens when you're on too many screens is that you get used to the, you know, sort of time span of a screen, which is like, you know, you look at something for 30 seconds. Yes. It's also something where you are very passive. So, the screen says, entertain me, and if you like it, you stay with it, and if you don't like it, you can swipe it away. I have literally been having teenagers try to swipe me away on the screen. <laughs> I'm like, 
I'm not going anywhere. You know, like that's not real life, but it feels like real life. You know, the people on the screen look real and they look like they're doing things normally. You know, people aren't seeing the, you know, scripts and the camera and the makeup and all that stuff. And, you know, their brains get to think that that world is real. And then you look at the world you're in and you're like, ew. Yep. This is not as entertaining. It's not meant to be yep. entertaining. You're meant to, you know, entertain. People yep. forget about how beautiful and interesting the world outside your door is. And it's really sad when people are telling me they have nothing to do. Now, the mother in me is like, well, I'll give you something to do. But, <laughs> you know, I can't say that sometimes. <laughs> yep, yep. I touche, touche. Uh, I tell you mm-hmm. what. I want to go to break, come back. I want to bring stimulant medications into this stuff. Um, everybody, please go check out uh, Dr. Shiat's website. It's S-A-R-A-H-C-H-E-Y-E-T-T-E.com. You're there. You can access um, her books, ADHD and Focus Mind, and her new book, ADHD and Me. Tonight, our secret word is Sarah. Uh, our secret word is Sarah. And, and with that, we'll be right back after these messages. You're listening to Attention Talk Radio. We'll return in a moment. Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. Change your life by learning more about managing ADHD. Other places give you a few tips. The ADD Coach Academy will change your life. To find out more, go to addca.com slash ATR. That's addca.com slash ATR. Are you always late? The Time Timer is an award-winning time management solution that's helped millions of people with ADHD manage life better. As time passes, Time Timer's bright red disc disappears. Visit Timetimer.com and use the discount code ATR for 15% off. Could hiring an attention coach really help you move forward? (laughs) Does a child get wet when they dive into a swimming pool? You can get started moving forward today. Just call Dig Coaching Practice at 813-837-8084 and schedule a free consultation. Tell us you heard about us on Attention Talk Radio and get 50% off your discovery session. For more information, visit digcoaching.com. Don't delay. Do it today. And now, back to Attention Talk Radio. Welcome back, everybody. We're here with Dr. Sarah Shayette. We're having a conversation about ADHD and uh, depression. Uh, I think one of the, the big pullaways of this is that uh, often they, they, they're comorbid. They occur at the same time. question is, is which one's primary, which one's secondary? How do you treat it? You know, what do you do? I know on my side, I focus on the attention side, the ADD, and um, sometimes that can take care of the depression side. If I'm not having the kind of success that I normally have, then I turn and encourage a person to go talk to somebody about the depression side because that can inhibit my ability to do on, on, on the ADHD side. Um, and there's some coaching a little bit around depression, but the bottom line is it's you got to have to work with your treatment team in order to sort through to find out what makes sense for you and what your cocktail treatment is. So with that said, um, when we started talking about doing this show, you started talking, you, you framed out stimulants as kind of an antidepressant. You got my attention on that. So talk to us about stimulants and their impact on ADHD and also depression. Yeah, so um... – Stimulant medications are obviously the most widely used um, medications for ADHD, so we're going to focus on those today. Um, Mm -hmm. Basically, these medications are things like Adderall, Ritalin, Vyvanse, Focalin. There are a bunch of other names for them, but those are sort of the big four 
in terms of different uh, stimulants. Mm -hmm. And they work for the day. So if you take them on a Monday, they work for Monday. If you don't take them on Tuesday, they don't work anymore. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, people take them for ADHD because, by and large, they are the most effective medications for focusing that we have. But what people don't talk about so much is that they can also help with both depression and anxiety. Now, if you look at the, um, you know, information about the medications all over the place, it will say could make depression and anxiety worse. If I recall right, there's a stimul- there's a suicide warning on all these medications. Mm-hmm. But the thing about it is what they don't say is, Heck, man, if this helps your attention, you absolutely could be way less depressed and way less anxious. If this medicine helps you feel on top of things, then, you know, you may not feel so bad uh, emotionally. And Mm -hmm. so although I do have to tell people, hey, you know, you could feel worse. And if people are telling you you're sad or worried or if people are telling you you're irritable, don't just snap at them that you're not irritable. You might be (laughs) irritable. So, you know, again, we're with the objective, how do I know? So, um, uh, you know, these medications can help with depression and anxiety by helping with with focus. But Mm -hmm. interestingly enough, you know, some, some psychiatrists, for example, will use Stimulant medicines, people who are depressed, who don't necessarily have ADHD, because um, it, it, you know, might help them feel more motivated or more energetic. Yep. So these are not FDA approved for depression, but they can be kind of helpful in that way, even if you don't have ADHD. So... Yeah, sometimes doctors will use a medication that's not approved for that that can actually be helpful. I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, Wellbutrin is not approved for ADHD. However, I get a lot of people who come in with ADHD, that's their diagnosis, but they're on Wellbutrin. Is that an accurate statement? Correct, Yes. So Wellbutrin is an antidepressant. It is not... Um, one that helps with anxiety in general, as most of our antidepressants like Paxil, Prozac, Zoloft, Lexapro, mm-hmm. those are FDA approved for both anxiety and for um, depression both. Well, Butrin mm-hmm. is FDA approved for depression. Off-label, it also can help people with ADHD. And why is that? You have to remember what your brain sees when you swallow Wellbutrin, you're, you know, first it gets absorbed in your stomach and it gets absorbed from there into your bloodstream and then it wiggles its way up to your brain. Your brain sees a molecule. That molecule will then stimulate different receptors in your brain. Your brain does not care what it's been FDA approved for. (laughs) You know, this is it. And so, you know, this is what happens when you take this medicine. Um, It's possible that over time we'll know what's happening in the brain more than we do now, and medicines won't be classified so much as antidepressants or 
focusing medicines or ADHD medicines or whatever, mm-hmm. but maybe they'll be classified as to dopamine 2A agonists or whatever, yep. you know, it yep. these receptors. So, yep. you know, that's just a, you know, theoretical supposition, but what's really important is what that molecule does in your brain. When a molecule like that hits your brain, there's a lot of individual responses because your brain has its own unique set of receptors. And not only just the receptors, but like there are little enzymes that clear out the, the, the chemicals in between your brain cells. And you know Mm. what? You have your own set of, of enzymes. You know, lots of different things, not to even mention the basics of, like, stomach absorption and liver metabolism. Yes, so, yeah, all that. Yeah, you know, that's, <laughs> talk, talk that's a big... the art. Yeah. Well, so I, I want to kind of pull this together. I want, just a real quick disclaimer um, in what Sarah's saying with this, the stimulants. Um, if you have a stimulant and it's properly diagnosed, it does take some time sometimes to get the right stimulants because if you take too much of it, you can you can have some anxiety um, depending on kind of what's going on. So some people will have that experience, but you, you have to be patient with your physician to get it the right dose at the right amount at the right time because there's a lot of variable factors associated with it. It's not like take two aspirin and call me in the morning. It's a little bit more of an art to get that right. And again, Anything to add to that, or was that inappropriate? I mean, it's. I just want to make sure that. No, I mean that. That's basically it. So you have to work with your doctor. What I don't want to have happen is for people to read the potential side effects and you know and decide not to take the medicine because it could worsen their depression or anxiety. Of course, that's your choice, but you also have to remember that it could make those things get better yep. as well. How will you know? Nobody knows till you try. It's not just yep. if you take too much of it. It could just be the wrong medicine for you. Absolutely. So it's a trial and error type of thing. You know, there, there, there is out, there was for a while for ADHD medicines, and there may be, I don't know, but, you know, you can't even take one of those genetic tests and know whether this medicine is the right medicine for you, those those tests, um, you know, they like measure one enzyme or a couple enzymes mm-hmm. in a pathway that there might be 10 or 100 enzymes involved, yep. and they tell you whether you're a slow metabolizer or a fast metabolizer, and they don't tell you whether the medicine is going to work for you or not. Mm-hmm. If you're a slow metabolizer, they often will say, don't take this medicine. Well, if you're a slow metabolizer and the medicine builds up properly in your bloodstream, guess what? It might be a super effective medicine for you, even at low doses. So, you know, I have not been a proponent of the genetic testing yet, although that is the direction I do hope medicine will go in. Yes. So I want to pull this together, but before we do, one last thing is we're talking about the individual body temperament of some things and yes i've heard this and i have two people that i've coached they take stimulants to go to sleep it's counterintuitive to me but uh, whatever reason there is a very small few people that when they take the stimulants they can actually sleep as opposed to everybody else they have a hard time sleeping and some of this is an individual and what i would really wanted to draw out from this conversation is 
ADHD and depression, which came first, the chicken or the egg, they're kind of interrelated. You got to work with your treatment tree to kind of understand that cocktail. Don't just go in and expect it to be resolved, but have the conversations, be open to the conversations and work together because if you do, I have found over, over a period of time, if you've got a good treatment team, they'll try to figure something out, and a lot of times it's going to be beneficial, which is why multimodal treatment is probably one of the best forms of treatment um, because it's covering everything. So with that, any last nuggets before we close this out? No, I think we covered what we wanted to cover, which is really great, and, you know, the importance of just kind of not being too uh, rigid in the way you approach this. It's just something I'd like to really emphasize, both for patients, their loved ones, and providers out there. Touche. Touche. With that, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, my gosh, Jeff. I really had fun. Excellent. Everybody, the secret word is Sarah. Check out Sarah's website at S-A-R-A-H-C-H-E-Y-E-T-T-E.com. With that, I hope you've enjoyed this edition of Attention Talk Radio. Catch us next week. Take care.